Hi, this is Randy Nichols, and I'm in search of the right angle. You know, the concept of justice being blind, in essence, means that the same conclusion should be made about any given apparent injustice that happens, even if you changed around all the demographics. We should each think about that and ask ourselves, regardless of the demographics of each individual involved, would you still come to the same conclusion every time? And if not, why not? This does not, however, mean that any act of preference in our lives involving one person over another is immoral, or else we would never be able to choose a spouse, for instance, or have a best friend. Preference is one thing. Prejudice is quite another. Let's talk about that today. I always start a discussion of racism these days by referring to a series of recent articles by National Geographic showing how genetically and biologically race is actually almost meaningless. In fact, the articles conclude that race is really a social construct. What people are usually referring to when they use the word race is skin color, maybe other facial and body features, but that can get very ambiguous. It's really just not helpful. If we're talking about skin color, think about this. The darkest person of African descent that you can think of, is their skin literally black? No, of course it's very dark brown. Then if you think of the palest person maybe of European descent that you know, you can imagine of, besides an albino, and ask yourself, is their skin literally white? Of course not. It's just very light brown. So we're, we're really just a thousand shades of brown, all of us. So why do we use these terms, black and white? Are they really helpful? I would suggest they are very divisive and even insulting. And the media seems to love these terms, best I can tell. They use them often just as they constantly bring up differences between the so-called races. And this is one of the reasons I have a theory that true racial reconciliation would be one of the media's worst nightmares. It's as if they enjoy us being polarized and they see this as an area that is sensitive enough to exploit effectively. Wait, you say, what's, what's the evidence of this? Well, think about this. Imagine you have a friend and you and this friend, you have a big falling out. Say it was a very damaging, hurtful disagreement. You said things, you did things. It was a big misunderstanding, but hurtful in the way it was handled and you're very angry with each other. But after some time and eventual discussion, you ultimately get things right with each other. Apologies are made, misunderstandings are cleared up, and amends are made to both sides' satisfaction. How do you move forward? Well, you spend new time together, right? You make new memories, you try to move on, you do your best to forgive and forget what went wrong, and you try to focus on the good times. Now, let's say a third party begins to act like they're friends with both of you, but eventually discover that this person keeps going to each of you separately and bringing up different aspects of the disagreement you had and all the wrong that was done. They keep, it keeps rekindling what made each of you angry. It begins to make you feel like it wasn't quite taken care of in a fair enough reconciliation. This person keeps reminding you of what your friend said and did in the heat of anger 
and then reminding them of things you said and did when you were outraged. When accused of being decisive, divisive, he reminds you of how wrong it was and that you cannot let this happen again, except he's saying the same thing to your friend. What would you guess this person is trying to achieve? Of course he's trying to sabotage the friendship. This is what I see happening in the media. They keep running narrative they keep a running narrative that our races can't possibly get along. And that's why every other movie and TV show that comes out makes race an issue. Then they keep bringing up old offenses as if they've never been discussed. They present it as an ongoing problem with no solution. They'll downplay any any situations where race is not an issue. And then they wait for the next big apparent injustice that they can emphasize for a news cycle. They certainly sometimes seem to be suggesting re reconciliation, but then they turn it into a focus on the injustice and not the potential relationship. If you analyze it, it's presented in a way that there never seems to be an end game. Apparently this is fueled by the goal of selling papers, as they say, or in the case of television, ensuring nonstop viewership. Because intense feelings on a sensitive issue like this keep people passionately tuning in for more. And polarization definitely piques interest and a passion to get involved. But how do they keep us not just interested but also polarized? Let me return to the idea of black and white again. Even the police these days use these terms to distinguish between people. We have a 35-year-old black man, they'll say, or we're looking for a 45-year-old white woman. That seems totally normal, normal to us now, but think about it. What if it was an Asian person? They wouldn't say, we are pursuing a 25-year-old yellow man. Or for a Native American, they wouldn't say, have you seen a 30-year-old red-skinned man around here? Why not? Obviously, those are offensive. Why? Because they reduce them to a color and one that doesn't really apply, right? It seems clear if you consider it. We should instead be talking about ethnicity and culture instead of skin color or so-called race. Whether it's African, European, Asian, Native American, as well as any other ethnicity that has immigrated to America, these are based on actual facts and still retain the fact that we are all Americans, citizens of the same nation, separately from the fact of our ethnic origin. But ethnic cultural bias is still a big issue, even if you try to unify us, isn't it? You know, D.A. Horton, a pastor of an African-American congregation, tells how he won't let his people use the term racism because, as he says, it implies that prejudice can only be committed by people who have power over others. He says he prefers to use the biblical term, the sin of partiality from James 2, which doesn't get anybody off the hook. Bias and hate are wrong no matter the direction they come from or who they're directed at, he says. So maybe we should be discussing cultural issues this way, script, the way Scripture does, instead of the way the world does. The next question is, how do we deal with any bias against each other's culture? Let me first suggest that some of what is called bias here is really just preference 
And to a certain extent, I don't believe it's sin. Let me explain. For instance, I've often heard it stated that the most segregated time in the U.S. is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, meaning that we are gathering separately as churches, as different cultures, and we keep away from each other culturally, and we should feel bad about that. Is that true? Well, we certainly have two generally different cultures of worship style between African Americans and European Americans. There are some churches that show significant overlap, and it's beautiful to see us worshiping together. By and large, so-called black congregations like to worship a certain way, and there's a significant difference from the style of so-called white congregations. But I know of a white church in particular that was in a neighborhood that changed dramatically over the years to an African-American community, and the pastor was very sensitive to that and tried really hard to reach out to the community. Like he saw it as his calling. And in the course of things, he made a lot of friends. Some of the neighbors even eventually visited the church out of a sincere obligation due to the friendship. But the church didn't ever really gain any long-term members from the community because they just didn't want to worship that way. All of the actual church members were living in a very different part of town. But the fact is, it wasn't wrong for them to worship that way just as it wasn't wrong for the black congregation to feel more comfortable at their church. That church ultimately moved and left the property to another church more culturally fitting to that area. Uh, But what's my point? Just that I don't see any hate in that story. What I mean is a certain amount of preference to be with your culture is completely understandable and appropriate. The media sees animosity in that and similar stories where I don't believe there is. I think that might be because they want that to be the case. Or at least they want to spin it that way. Another example is that I have African-American neighbors on the street with me. They do some things very similar, some things that seem very strange to me. Like, for instance, if I see my neighbor walking around with his pants sagging intentionally, I'm likely to roll my eyes to myself and how weird that seems to me. And when they see me obsessing over my yard, they might be laughing a little under their breath. Uh, That shows some significant cultural differences, but is that really hate, though? I don't think so. It it reminds me, in fact, of cultural differences back in high school uh, between different groups that you would tend to congregate together out of, you know, like-mindedness. And that was cultural. I mean, there were jocks, science geeks, rich kids, and rednecks. Uh, Someone in one group might one day roll their eyes at what someone in another group was wearing or how they were acting and laughing and shaking their head. But then the next week, that person would be his lab lab partner next to each other. They would be sitting next to each other at the ball game, cheering for the same high school team. I don't recall any hate in that either, really. There were cultural gaps between them. Uh, But there were also similarities and even many friendships or more serious relationships that crossed cultural lines. And even when there were issues, it wasn't really primarily about the cultural gap. It was some other conflict. conflict. Uh, I think that may be true in ethnic cultures as well. What I'm saying is a certain amount of preference that the media may claim is hate like who you choose to hang out with, or differences in worship style. It's not really hate, but just an understandable cultural choice. And a certain amount of cultural divide that the media suggests is hateful, like discomfort with some behavior or style of dress. 
is also not hate, from what I can tell. It is just related to our cultural comfort zones. Where it becomes hate is when we condemn other cultures or insist that they should completely adopt ours. If we are unwilling to welcome them into our lives, for instance, or if the good-natured ribbing starts to move into biting ridicule or actual rudeness, certainly that's wrong. We should be celebrating different cultures as best we can and the different benefits each one has contributed to our overall melting pot culture in America. I actually wouldn't want to live in an America of only European immigrants. I would find that very stale. Imagine no blues or jazz, no Mexican food, or if everyone looked and acted about the same culturally on TV and movies. How dull. Cultural differences should remain intact and appreciated and celebrated by each other instead of being such a source of tension and anxiety. So how do we know when we are committing the sin of partiality? Well, the real sin of partiality is when you don't welcome someone into a facet of your life because of their ethnic culture or status, since it makes you uncomfortable. If you despise them in any way because of that or a stereotype, if you stereotype them completely based on what you see as generally true of their culture without taking the opportunity to get to know them and find out what they're really like as an individual. If, for instance, people of a striking different, strikingly different culture did actually want to attend your worship service without changing or their appearance or style, what would be your response? Would you welcome them with open arms or expect them to change because you're uncomfortable? Any hate is, of course, sin and evidence that someone does not have the Holy Spirit in their lives or is due for some serious repentance. Any partiality that hurts someone based on their appearance or culture is very offensive to God. But we need to recognize where the powers that be are using sensationalism and emotion to exploit our sensitivities in this area as well. We shouldn't be condemning some normal, natural preferences as being hateful either. Let's not see hate where it doesn't exist out of some false sense of virtue. Some of these are fine lines to be sure, but a constant pursuit of getting hate or bitterness out of our hearts and pursuit of God's will regarding impartiality towards others will, I think, be blessed by God. I'm Randy Nichols, and I'm in search of the right angle.